Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, welcome to Cultural Catalyst, where we help you to learn how to live fully alive, co-labor with God, and change the world. And I'm your host, Chris Valentin. And today, I have a very interesting person on here, Matt Plummer. Good to see hey, you, Chris. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And yeah. t- today we're kind of talking about, you know, local politics and how it influences culture. And yeah. I, I've known you for a while. You're running for District 4 Supervisor. Right. Yeah, yeah. Shasta County Supervisor. You yeah. are. And yeah. I, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a really interesting journey. So... Uh, Kind of my journey into politics, you could say, started about 10 years ago where, and there's really kind of two stories. One is a career story and one's more of a spiritual story. So on the career story, uh, you know, I, my first job out of school, I was working for an industrial supply distributor, McMaster Car Supply. Maybe you heard of it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're kind of like an Amazon with nuts, bolts, cranes, Mm -hmm. everything in between. Yeah. And I was living in the Midwest at the time. It was the height of the Great Recession. And I realized that the things I was having to think about at work, like how do we get more packages out the door, were different from the things I thought about when I was at home. So I was, I would walk to my apartment and see all these empty tool and die shops, these little machine shops, because the auto industry had collapsed and and basically you had the economy just you know collapse overnight yeah. and so it's i like around 2008ish right yeah 2008 2009 yeah and so i was like i want a job where there's more integration between the things i like thinking about outside of work and the things i have to think about in work and so i ended up uh, leaving there and joining a nonprofit that helps other nonprofits figure out okay, what are you doing that's effective? How do we help you grow that to meet the need? How do you structure your organization to deliver on those services? And I would say that that's kind of been the mindset that I've taken for each of my career moves since then, which is, okay, what is a lever for advancing the community? And so I was joining the nonprofit. When I moved here, I said, okay, I think that there's... uh, there's not a lot of jobs that can become careers in, in Reading and Shasta County. And so I was like, what if I start a company where I do corporate training? I train other companies on things I've learned and try to employ people. And so getting into government was really seeing that increasingly government was a key lever for influencing the community. Yeah. So that was, that was part of the story. The other part was more of a spiritual journey, which about 10 years ago, I felt like um, God was saying, because up until that point, you know, I, I always voted, but I had never really listened to or followed politics. And I felt like God was like, start paying attention to it. And so for years, I just started learning and studying, but had no outside confirmation that that would be something I would do. Uh, even after coming to, to Bethel here, you know, never heard anybody else, you know, in, in Bethel, there's a prophetic culture where a lot of people are speaking into your yeah. life and nobody said anything to me ever about government until about three years ago. And, um, and then uh, in 2021, I, I was have a practice of kind of thinking about the goals for the year. And I felt like one of the things God put on my heart was to do something in politics that year. And so I thought that this was going to be volunteering for a local assembly woman for about an hour a week and just taking calls. Instead, I ended up effectively becoming like a de facto campaign manager (laughs) for a gubernatorial race, working 70 to 80 hours a week for seven months. Uh, And so that was my intro to uh, politics and government. What what made you run for the supervisor office? Yeah, so this past year, I worked with a friend who was running for Reading City Council. And when that election happened in November, I was kind of thinking, okay, do I join another candidate and support them? 
do I take a break after two and a half years of campaigning and kind of need a break usually, but, uh, or do I run for, uh, you know, a position? And as I looked around and, and spent about four months thinking through it, it felt like there was a real need for a different type of leadership and different vision at the county level. And a lot of people said, you want to run for county supervisor? Haven't you gone to any of the meetings? Have you seen what's happening there? I mean, uh, for those, you know, audience who hasn't, uh, it can get pretty ugly it's, it's right now. It's entertaining. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, enter, it's uh, you have to laugh at it because otherwise yeah. it's kind of sad, um, you know, the types of things that you're hearing at a typical meeting. Um, but what I've said is that, you know, the bigger the challenge, the bigger the opportunity to make a difference there. And so actually I felt like I need to run towards this because I feel like there's a greater need for a different type of leadership there. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I love about you, you've kind of been in our world for a while. We've used you to consult too with some of our business things that we're doing because you're a business consultant that that's one of the main things you do for both for a living. Right. And also, you know, for a kind of like for a ministry. So we, so I've got a chance to observe your leadership skills and your ability to create, I mean, where there's chaos <laughs> to, you know, create order. Mm, and yeah. so I, I, and your even your personality is so peaceful. When uh, one of my friends told me you're running, I said, oh, man, that he'll be perfect for, you know, to help bring some reconciliation to you know, the Board of Supervisors team and to bring yeah. peace there because you bring that to our teams. Thank you. And have yeah. for a long time. You also bring wisdom and strategy and structure. It's kind of the, one of the highlights that we turn to you for mm. in our, on our own teams, kind of how we, you and I kind of got, got to know each other. Right. Um, uh, what is your vision? You've been here for what, seven years. I'm, I'm looking at some notes here. Yeah. You've been here for seven years. What's your vision for the region? Yeah, so I, as I said, got to work on a number of campaigns. And what I've seen is that most of the challenges, kind of, I've gone to 38 of the 58 counties in the last two years, uh, which California is a big state. And so what I've seen is the same challenges, right? So you have crime, homelessness, yeah. uh, mental health, addiction, wildfires, and drought. Pretty much anywhere you go in California, you're going to see those challenges. Those are the five or six right. main and, things on the top, top of people's minds. Yeah, and uh, you know, more or less, I'm seeing that there isn't a place that's really making significant progress on the majority of those. So you'll see a few bright spots here and there. Yeah. And so I think Shasta County could actually lead the way on this. There, I think California as a state is looking for a community that will rise up and make progress on these challenges and demonstrate what is capable there. And and I think Shasta County is well suited for it for a few reasons. One, um, that our size is not huge, right? Yeah. We have about 180,000 people in Shasta County. So you can have a lot of influence over a smaller community. Right. And it's just easier to get stuff done than if yeah. you're in San Francisco or LA or someplace yeah. like that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so our size is well suited to make progress on these. And then also, I think our culture, I think, you know, we have more of a, you know, that a work ethic here, mm -hmm. that culture of community and personal responsibility that really creates the preconditions that are necessary to make progress on these. Now, I think we've gone a little off course in some areas that we need to get back on in terms of culturally, but I think we're well positioned to um, make progress on these challenges. And the way I like to talk about my uh, priorities for the county is that let's make progress on the challenges we can all agree exist. Let's table some of the things that are more divisive right now because we don't have the goodwill or the trust as a government to be able to tackle those. That's been pretty crazy. Like this is yeah. the most divisiveness I've seen. I've been here 25 years and we've always had, you know, uh, from pretty good to great leadership in my opinion, you know, both board of supervisors mm -hmm. and, and uh, city council. And, uh, but this last, the last uh, few years has been, it's been crazy. Like, I, I think, 
I mean, some of that was COVID, of course. Sure. Some of that was, you know, what we went through with the racial reconciliation and all of that. So it wasn't all people because right. it was very, COVID was very difficult, whether you're a good leader, a terrible leader, or a <laughs> great leader, right? But it, it created a kind of, it did create kind of a rift between everyone. Like, how do I, do we wear masks, we don't wear masks, we open, we close. We, in, in uh, California was pretty locked down. So, right. you know, how... How much do we obey the governor's, you know, mandates? All of that was very tough, whether you were, uh, in my opinion, whether you were a really good leader or whether you are a poor leader. But it, it feels like we're still having a lot of that tension right now. Right. And so I studied mechanical engineering in school. And the, one of the laws that you learn is that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah. And so what we've seen is we'll see one group act out in a certain way. Yeah. And then what inevitably happens is that somebody on the other side kind of reacts in that same way. Yeah. But they think they're justified and they think that their ends justify the means. Yeah. But the reality is the how matters. And this is how I've been trying to approach the campaign is that it doesn't, you might have the right ideology, the yeah. right beliefs, but if you approach that in the wrong way in a process mm -hmm. and you use the same tools that others have used to get mm -hmm. to where they want to go, uh, then you actually undermine the value of the end game that you're going after. And I think that's what we're seeing. People are taking shortcuts to try to get to the ends that they think are really important. Yeah. And they could be really important, but in that process, they actually undermine and and you know, erode the social fabric that's necessary for our community to address these hard challenges. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think in communication skills, it, if I put you on the defense, yeah, we're no longer talking about whatever the issue you and I disagree about, right? Because now you're defending yourself right? instead of thinking through the issue that I maybe brought to you. And it, it feels like that. It feels like, you know, you, you offended me or you attacked me in your presentation of what you think I should change, right? Maybe yeah. we, you know, don't agree on what color the wall ought to be, but I attack your character. Mm -hmm. And now you've, you're defending yourself instead of we're talking about the issue at hand. And, yeah. and I agree that's the reciprocal nature of, you know, uh, you know a, a, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that happens pretty much every week and I'm sure you get it too. But for example, somebody sent me an email uh, and they said, they're, they're basically like, I'm not supporting you. You're uh, part of the Bethel cult and too close to those uh, liberal pedophiles. And I was like, okay, that's a nice email to get, you know, um, and liberal pedophiles. Yeah, exactly. And <clears throat> so, and what's the immediate response when you receive an email like that, right? <laughs> exactly. It kind of stirs you up yeah. internally. Uh, but, you know, I thought about it for a while. And I think to your point, you have to be unoffendable. You mm -hmm. can't allow that to offend you. And I had heard of this person before, hadn't met them personally, but I ended up, you know, taking some time. And then I responded and I said, you know, I've actually been to one of the meetings that you hosted, appreciate what you're doing in the community. And I've heard that you actually rescued this person this girl out of trafficking in the past, you know, appreciate your courage. Um, would love to hear what you think about what the key needs are in the community. And, uh, you know, didn't hear, hear any response back and might never hear a response. But I think those are the, the mm -hmm. situations where we have an opportunity to shift the culture mm -hmm. or to reinforce the destructive culture that exists. Another example of that someone, I sent, it, I sent a weekly email out and I try to dive into the issues and I wrote one about homelessness a while back. Yeah. And somebody writes me an email and says, 
you know, you're missing some of these key points about how homelessness really works. You know, I have a child who's been homeless. Like, you need to understand these things. It was kind of an angry email. Yeah. And I said, uh, you know, I would love to hear your perspective and hear your story because I think that would help inform it. And they went from being hostile and angry to opening up and sharing this really vulnerable story that I think was you know, really insightful and really connected to the heart of the challenges there. And so I think there's such an opportunity to respond in a different way to allow us to still debate. What I like to say is we can debate ideas and actions, Mm -hmm. but not insult people. And because like you said, that allows us to get to better solutions. I teach companies critical thinking. And the key principle of that is that you need to invite opposing viewpoints and then wrestle with them. So we can't be a culture where we're not allowed to disagree. Because totally. that actually doesn't create good ideas or good no. relationship. But we also can't be a place where we're just insulting each other. Yeah, that's really good. And, and probably you learned something from that gal who, oh, who totally. actually has firsthand knowledge of a son who's currently homeless. Yeah. The, and it helps you to be a better leader, right? Cause, Absolutely. Because when you decide to not be offended and you go, well, this person's carrying passion for a purpose. Yeah. And they've, they, they've mistaken where I'm at. Mm-hmm. But doesn't mean they don't have a really good point that yeah. you can learn from, right? Yeah. And so when you take the time to say, hey, explain to me how your son's doing and what do you think could, you know, you're in that situation where your son's homeless. Yeah. How would you love to see government respond to your son's situation, right? And right. all of a sudden you have firsthand knowledge yeah. of something that maybe you don't know anybody personally or nobody in your family's homeless. Yeah. Yeah. And what I've said as one of the core values of the campaign is that I will talk to anybody. And I've had people reach out and said, I've heard that you've said that you'll talk to anyone. And that's why I'm reaching out to you, even though I've heard the rest of the county disagrees with this. And I haven't been able to talk to other representatives from the county. You know, I've heard that you've said that. And so people are looking for Mm -hmm. a listening ear, especially in government. They want people who actually um, hear them, listen to them, validate their opinion Mm -hmm. and speak honestly back. I mean, what we see is two extremes, right? We see a group of people who are will not listen. And then we see another group that will, in politics, who will just tell you what you want to hear. And even if they disagree with it, and then what they do is they go and act differently. And then you're like, wait, you said this, but now you're acting differently. Right. Right. Uh, And so we need to be able to listen and then honestly tell people, uh, you know, I disagree with you on that. And, you know, we can we can agree to disagree on this. You know, we're on the homeless subject, so let's let me just ask the question because I, I this is my question. It wasn't on any of these notes, but sure. the continuum of care that um, you know the board of supervisors decided not to fund this continuum of care, and then the city council picked it up. This is all like how part of how we um, take care of the homeless in our community. Uh, what, what do you think about that that move, and why did that happen, and what did you think about the uh, city picking it up when it was originally uh, a whole county thing? It actually right. is a whole county thing, my understanding, yeah. you can correct me, yeah. that the city's actually funding and leading, right? Is that true? Yes. Why do you explain what that is? Sure, yeah. So the continuum of care is basically a collaborative entity that is connected to federal funding for homelessness through HUD, the Housing and Urban Development okay. Department. And so they have continuums of care all around the country, and that's how you get money from the federal government for homelessness and housing. Okay, that's good. I didn't know that. And there has to be a lead agency. 
And the lead agency is responsible for facilitation. It's responsible for applying for the funding, for reporting back on here's what, how we use the funding and the results that we got. And up until recently, that was Shasta County, okay. the county. And the, our continuum of care is, uh, it's not just Shasta County. It actually includes six other counties in Northern California. Uh, so that was a recent change. I think it was 2016. You mean one county owns it, but all six counties uh, are served? Yes. Is, is that true? Yeah. So the other six okay. counties have representation on the executive board, for example, and are part of the you know, seat at the table. Okay. The funding is distributed to them. And so what happened was, you know, our county and the county has been through from a staffing standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, a lot of... Um, I guess you could call it chaos over the last uh, year or two with a lot of leaders leaving, a lot of reorganization of departments. And in the midst of that, the county said, hey, we're losing money by facilitating the continuum of care. So we're going to pull out. And now there's disputes locally around, you know, are they losing that much money? How much money is it? We don't have a lot of transparency into that. Um, And so they ultimately pulled out this summer. And the, the sad part about it is that it was right before we had to apply for additional funding. Fortunately, the city of Reading did step up and they applied for funding and we'll see what happens with that. But what I would like to see the county do is when there is a challenge, uh, you know, in something like the continuum of care, and there's other examples of this, is rather than saying, okay, we're going to step out, is actually go in there and fix it. Because homelessness is, when I, I've knocked on almost 2,000 doors now, and I would say homelessness is the number one challenge that people in this community oh, yeah. are, are saying they want addressed. Yeah, both for the people uh, that are homeless and for the people that's affecting, that, you know, where homeless people often congregate, right? Yeah. So do you, do you feel like, well, first of all, if we would have just let that go, let's just say we, we let it go, what would have happened? How would that affect, would it, would it have an effect on homelessness? Well, absolutely, because we would have not received any funding, uh, which I think is is in the order of a couple million dollars. And we're actually not getting as much money as we could from the federal government because we haven't uh, regularly reported on our progress and applied for as much funding as we could be. So we're even getting short-circuited, but it would have been much less. And right now, I mean, our if you look at our numbers of people who are homeless from 2007 to 2022, our number has gone up by about 500%. So five times the number. Uh, say, and that, say that again. So from 2007, 2007. to uh, 2022, okay. the number of homeless people in Shasta County has gone up by about 500%. 500%? Yeah. So we have five times the number of people. And that includes both people who are in shelters and people who are living on the streets. Wow. Do you have yeah. any idea what that number is? The number of people? Yeah. yeah. So right now we have about over, you know, a little over a thousand people in Shasta County that are homeless. Right. Well, what, why do you think the homeless number have, has risen like that? Yeah. So there's a lot of debate around (laughs) (laughs) a million dollar question, right? (laughs) So it, there's a number of different factors, right? Mm. Uh, so is migration a part of it? Uh, so when you look at, so every year we have to do a, what's called a point in time count, which is a survey of people who are homeless for the federal government. And if you, when you look at that survey and you ask people, how long have you been here? Most of them have been here over three years. Okay. Uh, in fact, a lot of them have been here six to 10 years. And so the idea that a lot of people have come to uh, Reading and then become homeless here, or that they were homeless and they came to Reading, really isn't backed up by at least that data. Okay. Um, the one thing that I will say is, and this is part of the bigger picture, is right now they ha- there's what I would call a jail to street pipeline. And what I mean by that is we put people in jail 
or prison. And then what happens, and I was just talking to someone this week about this, who had this very experience is, so here's her story. She said, you know, I went to prison and then I was being released after about 11 months. And uh, so in the morning they tell me, oh, you're going to be released. They get, I have enough money to buy a bus ticket back to Reading. I get on the bus. I arrive back in Reading at 11 PM, no food, no money, no housing, no family to support. So what happens? I mean, she's living on the streets and so she reaches out to probation she reaches out to parole she reaches out to churches this is what she said at least you know and um and said i need to get housing because if i don't i'm going to fall back into addiction i'm going to likely fall back into criminal justice system yeah and so for six months she's living on the street she can't get out of it you know can't find any type of housing until finally she tells probation she says if i don't get off the streets i'm probably going to end my life and so what they did is they uh, connected her to the crisis intervention response team, which is part of the city of Reading police department in collaboration with the mental health clinic. And they found her uh, transitional housing with an organization called no boundaries. And now she's, she's been there a few years. She has a job, she's making money. She's been sober as far as I know. And she's a peer support specialist helping other people. And so her life has been transformed, but this is, and, and this is what is happening. People are going into our criminal justice system. We arrest in Shasta County about seven, 800 people a month and our jail can hold 450. So think about that. Yeah. Every, okay. So jail expansion. So jail expansion. Yes. Um, but we also, I mean, that's going to take a while and we don't have the funding right now. Okay. And so we need to, um, we need to be creative. This is, I've been talking a lot about this idea of we need to create a culture of accountability where yes. we increase the disincentives for committing criminal behavior. And so there's a number of creative ways we can do that. But part of it is that we need when we, uh, so last year we closed the, uh, a floor of our jail because of staffing. We couldn't staff it. So we closed it. And so, we couldn't staff it because we didn't have the money or we couldn't staff it because we couldn't find staff or both. It's a combination. Okay. But here's what's really interesting. So if you look at uh, 2021 to 2022, our homelessness numbers increased by about 200 people from one year to the next. Okay. And then if you look at the survey data, what's really interesting is that the number of people who are homeless who had a felony conviction went up by about 100. So essentially what that suggests is that half of the increase in homelessness was attributed to people with a felony conviction. So I was asking myself, well, what happened in 2022 that could lead this? We closed the floor of the jail, which holds about 130, 140 people. And they end up on the street. So I asked, I asked our sheriff, I said, you know, what happens when uh, you release someone from jail? And they said, you know, honestly, we're so overwhelmed with so many, uh, you know, people being arrested that when somebody's released, we're just happy that we have another space. And so we just let them go. And so imagine that you're in jail for months or years, and now all of a sudden you're released. Like, how are you going to find housing? How are you going to get a job? So we need to change that pipeline, that jail street pipeline that uh, I was referring to earlier. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, we're not helping those people reduce the risk that they end up back in jail. And we're also putting people who have demonstrated criminal behavior right back on our streets in a position that they're more likely to commit criminal behavior. What do you think about the whole culture of restorative justice? And how do you think that plays into the, this? I think it, I, so I think that we don't want to be a community that always builds bigger jails. Yeah. Uh, and so we want to be rehabilitating people. And I think restorative justice uh, at its best does that. And that, you know, there's an organization, Hope City, yeah. uh, that it's, it's at least one big tool, right? Right. Absolutely. 
because we need to be restoring relationship and helping people get past those uh, wounds or whatever was causing them to commit criminal behavior. Wow, that's amazing. You have a passion and a vision for local government. Why should the average person get involved? Now, I know why you should be involved. Yeah. I've known you for a long time. You've got a brilliant mind. You've got great leadership ability. You know, you have a passion for politics, as you've just pointed out. But average Joe maybe maybe has a brilliant mind for art or, you know, maybe yeah. music or maybe for engineering. But why should a local why – should why should anyone – be involved in why should any citizen even care about politics yeah it's a good question and uh so i've been knocking on doors as i said right and i ask people two questions i knock on the door and i say hi i'm matt Plummer. i'm running for county supervisor is there anything you'd like to see the county focus on and is there any way the county could better serve you and uh you know i'd say probably about a third of people are like you know i, I don't really pay attention to politics Okay. and sometimes i just say okay that's fine you know but other times i actually push back a little bit and i say you know, um, you don't have to pay attention to politics, but do you drive on the roads? Do you have a business or work in a business? Do you uh, care about whether, uh, you know, people are living on the streets? Do you worry about going into the Target parking lot at nine o'clock at night? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. and then they're like, oh yeah. And then they start rattling off ideas because, but they, we have a lens of like, this is what politics is, mm -hmm. but government actually is kind of a, uh, it can be an invisible force that influences how so many different Oof. things happen in our community. And so everybody is being affected by government, but they don't always associate that with government. And so anything that you're doing is probably influenced, particularly in California, where government has really stretched mm -hmm. its tentacles into everything. Yeah. Um, so you're being influenced by government. You just might not realize it. And so you want to influence that which is influencing you. And so that's why I would argue that everybody should be involved to some extent. Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't care until it affects your you right. and your family, right? Yeah. Like we're watching all this craziness around shoplifting mm -hmm. where they raise the, the uh, felony level to $950, I think, or 1000 right. And all of a sudden what happens is, I mean, we're just seeing video after video uh, of stores just being wiped out. Yeah. And then uh, and, and literally chain stores leaving our markets. Right. Right. Not so much Shasta County yet, but we're seeing them leave the California market. And so yeah. that's just one example of people pushing back to our government saying, wait a second, this is not right. Yeah. Can can change can change make a huge change. Right. Absolutely. And also, if you if you if average Joe doesn't get involved in at least voting and understand the issues then the activists control the issues, which are off, often polarized positions. Yeah, the vocal minority, certainly. And, yeah. and I, you know, working on a number of campaigns, one of the biggest mistakes I've learned uh, and learned the hard way is that when you're on campaigns, you know, you're going to events, you're travel, you know, you're doing these different uh, campaign-related activities, and it's often the same 100 to 200 people who come to those things. Yeah. And so you're always hearing what they're saying and you think, okay, this is, this <laughs> is what's what, really happening. That's what people are concerned about. Right. Yeah. But if you get out into the, you know, the everyday person who's just trying to live their life and get by and, you know, make it, then, you know, it really changes the perspective. And so I think it's important for 
I think it's important. This is what I said. I said, if I do win the election, I'm going to continue knocking on doors because I think government should not make it hard so that, oh, you have to take a day off work to come to a board of supervisor meeting and voice your opinion. Government should be going to you and figuring out, mm-hmm. what do you think? What, how can we serve you? Because ultimately, I think uh, government's intended to be a customer service oriented uh, entity. You mean government by the people for the people? I mean, that's still, is that still around somewhere? Is that written anywhere? In our- yeah, absolutely. And this is, this is something that I've, uh, I've been saying is that the contract between people and government has been broken. Uh, I don't know. Have you heard the song, uh, Richmond North of Richmond? No. Oh uh, yeah. You should listen to it. So this guy, uh, who goes by, uh, the name Oliver Anthony lives in uh, Virginia, has a big bushy, uh, red beard, posted this video of himself singing this song called Richmond, North of Richmond. So Richmond, North of Richmond was Washington, D.C. And basically is uh, overnight became a sensation. I mean, hundreds of millions of views on YouTube and uh, hundreds of thousands of comments all over the world, people commenting. Basically, the song is about the idea that uh, that the everyday person is struggling to get by, that the dollar you know buys less, that they're drinking their sorrows away, and that the government's uh, controlling people. And uh, you know the response to it has been crazy, and it's indicative of the fact that really uh, people people pay taxes, and they you know the way it's intended to work is okay, we're going to give the government some of our money, and we expect to receive a benefit yeah. in return for that. Yeah. But what we've seen is that we don't feel like we're getting the benefit, you know, commiserate with how much we're paying. So the amount that we're paying keeps going up and the benefit keeps getting less and less. And that's why I'm saying that the contract between people and government is broken. Uh, And if you look at, so Pew does, uh, and they've been doing this for years, they ask people, how how much do you trust the government to always, or at least sometimes act in the best interest? And if you go back to the 1960s, around 1965, it was around 80% of people said, yes, we do. We trust them most of the time or always to do that. You know what it is today? What? 20%. So it went from 80% to 20% over the last several decades. And so we don't trust government to actually deliver a benefit for what we're paying them. And that needs to change. We need to be able to trust that, okay, I'm going to pay money into this and pay taxes into here, and I'm going to get something for that. It feels to me like, especially in California, of course, I only live in California, so that I'm going to be sensitive to, to our issues, that a few activists have actually dominated the laws of our land, mm. and they are being served well. And, and it feels like the silent majority, who, is, who cares a lot but maybe, maybe doesn't actually know how to affect government, yeah. And I mean, there's, if you look at how do you win elections, you mm-hmm. need three things, right? You need money, endorsements, and votes. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, money can drive all of those. And so if, if someone has a lot of money that they're able to give, and it can really distort the picture of what's really happening. And, and unfortunately, we're seeing that in a number of ways where, and even locally, of big outside funders getting involved and, and distorting the, the interests of the people. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. And somebody, somebody that has a lot of money and has a, a passion for a certain thing, an mm-hmm. activist thing, maybe it's good, maybe it isn't, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, because they're running so many ads with that money, and they're, uh, and they're, they're able to make their perspective seen, it feels like it's this perspective of the, of the, of the whole 
as I say, congregation. <laughs> you can tell I'm a pastor, right? Of the community, of right. the entire community, right? And then you find out that it's, it's actually a side issue. Yeah, I mean, it's actually either something that most people don't care about, and they don't want to see our government spend money on, or it's the actually community doesn't even like that perspective, but they're just spending thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars making that perspective seen. Yeah, absolutely. How can people get a hold of you? Mattplumber.com. I see it right here. Yeah. You can learn more from mattplumber.com. We'll put that in the, we'll put it in the chat. Um, and you can uh, go there. And I know from just what you said, and also as you as a person, you actually talk to people. So if people yeah. want to get in touch with you and talk to you or email you or whatever, you'll interact with them. Any last things you want to say as we close? Yeah, I think one of the things that we've seen, and this gets to some of the themes you've shared, is that uh, you know being on a lot of campaigns, seeing and hearing from a lot of candidates, what you often hear is this uh, political rhetoric, right? Which is these talking points. Oh, I'm going to be tough on crime, or uh, you know, <clears throat> whatever it might be, and it stays at the surface level. And what you hear is that then politicians will say, oh, well, you know, we have to stay at that level because the people don't really understand the the depths of the issues. And that might be true to some extent, but what happens then is then they're like, okay, we're going to stay at this level because they don't understand. And then that perpetuates that. And what I've really tried to do in this campaign is take people on the learning journey with me of, as I'm digging into the data. I like looking at the data. I know. I can <laughs> see every one of your newsletters is filled with data. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's going to be charts and, and to take people on that because I think part of uh, you know what we should do as elected officials is bring education and inform people and allow them to then be part of the decision-making process. And so I do send out a weekly email. So you can sign up uh, on website and really, uh, and what I end each of those is, what do you think about this? Because I think it should be a collective process of, mm -hmm. you know, sharing your thoughts, reacting to the information and having that conversation kind of in the open. So, yeah, if, if people want to sign up for that, even if you're not in Shasta County, I would love to. Do you have any open forums coming up? Uh, every So for those who are local, um, every two weeks we do like a, a pop-in event where you can just come by. And so, um, yeah, that you, we can find that information. Uh, if you sign up for the email, we'll, we'll send it out to Great. you. Yeah. Matt, thank you so much. Thanks for running. Hey, you should be involved. Make sure that you that you vote. Please don't complain and not vote. Actually, I don't know if we should complain at all. Actually, we should probably, uh, you know, my pers perspective is we should pray. But we should definitely vote. Like, you know, uh, I, I want to say a woman fought for the right to vote. Uh, 1920, women couldn't vote till 1920. They spent, I think, 70 years trying to get a, a vote. And it, it's just how precious it is to have, to actually live in a land where we actually do get to make a difference in, uh, in, in running or mm -hmm. in, in voting, in, in letting our voice be heard. So let your voice be heard. Uh, vote in this next election. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.